you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Roundtable. Meeting with a panel of reporters this Thursday morning, March 12, about 8.30 a.m. to look back on the big news of the week and what a week from hell it's been. First, a week from hell for Bernie Sanders, who lost five out of six states to Joe Biden on Super Tuesday 2 and mathematically may have lost any chance to secure the Democratic nomination while Bernie vows to soldier on. And then a week from hell for the American people dealing with the unknowns of the coronavirus. Over 1,200 cases now reported in the United States. School, class, school classes, political rallies, concerts, sports events all canceled. And as of Friday night, a ban on, I'm sorry, as of last night, Wednesday night, a ban on all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. We asked today's panel on both the political front and the virus front, where do we go from here? Nikki Schwab joins us, senior U.S. political reporter for the Daily Mail. Hi, Nikki. Hello. How Welcome are you? Welcome back. Bill? Thank you. Pema Levy, political reporter for Mother Jones. Hi, Pema. Hi. Good to be here. And uh, on a rare visit back to Washington, Alex Seitzwald, national political reporter for MSNBC TV. Hi, Alex. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Let's start with coronavirus. Last week, when we did the roundtable, there were about 326 cases in the United States. Now there are over 1,200. Harvard has canceled classes for the rest of the year. So has Sacramento State. I saw this morning the United States Capitol is giving no more public tours. The NBA has suspended the rest of the season. Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks and his wife, uh, Rita Wilson, have uh, acknowledged that they now have the coronavirus down in Australia. And meanwhile, President Trump addresses the nation last night and reassures us that we are on top of it. Here he is speaking, uh, starting and to his address from the Oval Office. Tonight, I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. And we are responding with great speed and professionalism. Our team is the best anywhere in the world. At the very start of the outbreak, we instituted sweeping travel restrictions on China and taking early, intense action. We have seen dramatically fewer cases of the virus in the United States than are now present in Europe. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots because of the economic policies that we have put into place over the last three years, we have the greatest economy anywhere in the world by far. So his goal is to reassure the nation. But let me start by telling you how great we are. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I spent 
Um, most of yesterday working uh, with people who are fact-checking a story I'm working on, and then I hear that speech, and I'm like, wow, this none of that is true. <laughs> like, <laughs> if only they would actually, like, pay attention to it. Like, you look at what they were doing in South Korea, for example, that's definitely a much more aggressive effort than what Trump has done. Um, just in all sorts of ways, these are inaccuracies meant to, like you said, reassure people. But I think that at this point... People understand that the response here actually hasn't been robust. And so when you sort of hear these exaggerated claims on top of that reality, I think it actually just engenders more distrust. So, Alex, I was struck by uh, that he didn't start by saying, I want to speak to you tonight about a serious health crisis facing this country and what we're doing about it. He started out, I want to speak to you about what a great job we've done, right? At least we're acknowledging that there's an issue here. I mean, a few days ago, he was still calling it a hoax. He was saying that this is not... Sean Hannity still is. Yeah, and and, and, and on and some of his allies in the media. Um, and, you know, downplaying this, saying it's not a thing, don't worry about it, go go about your business, which is exactly the, the wrong uh, advice, according to health experts. And the incredible thing is it's showing up in public polling that, you know, we're so divided that even our views of this pandemic is partisan. Republicans are less concerned about it. They have a more positive view of the government's response than Democrats or independents. Uh, but I but I wonder if this is soon going to reach a point where you can't, you know, no amount of uh, information bubbling, no amount of telling everybody it's going to be okay is, is going to overcome that because soon this is going to be in every community or almost every community in America. And Nick, do you do hear, he didn't blame Democrats uh, last night in his remarks, but he did call it a foreign virus. Yes. He says here, we just heard, it started in China, you know, and the Europeans haven't done anywhere near the good job that we have. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's still Stephen Miller everybody else. Yeah, right. And very, very much still kind of. Do you think Stephen Miller wrote those? I, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, just especially because of those two points that you made, the fact that it was he calls it a foreign virus and he basically shames the European Union. And, you know, that's sort of like I think broader code for them having sort of a sort of open doors immigration policy because he's been shaming them for years over the fact that they were taking in like refugees. So it, it's sort of in line with like his, his thinking about the world. Um, and sort of to piggyback on Alex's point, uh, I looked at uh, Facebook this week and I can't tell you how many sort of. I would say people that are more ideologically in line with Trump have posted stuff that this is a hoax, that this is, you know, this is a media fabrication. There's a lot of, you know, anti-media hate. When you sort of look at people's posts, I know it's not as good, you know, concrete as polling, but I think anecdotally you yeah. are seeing sort of the damage of the fact that he had not taken it seriously very early on. I mean, even today, you know, if you looked at the sort of the one tweet that he put out, it was shaming Nancy Pelosi and quoting Fox News over the fact that she doesn't like the payroll tax cut idea and it instead is actually going to sort of try to throw, uh, to pass something on the House side today that would, you know, give money to, you know, health services and I think like single moms and, and workers, uh, very much more in line with sort of like the, what the Democrats would support. I thought one of the key sentences was, the virus will not have a chance against us. <laughs> and I thought, really? all right, <laughs> nothing to worry about, right? It's kind of a pretty bold statement. It's definitely bold, especially in light of the fact that, I mean, look, people are citing this, right? You start out with 1,000 cases one week, two weeks later, you've got 40,000, right? Like, that's sort of how this virus works. And so it's um, somewhat short-sighted. 
uh, given, you know, the amount of cases we already have here and the dearth of testing that we have here uh, to, you know, put out a statement like that, that you are almost inevitably going to have to walk back. The central point of the address last night was the announcement that for the next 30 days, there is a travel ban or anyone traveling from Europe to the United States, but not for that's 26 countries, but not the UK, not Ireland, not Wales, I guess. Not or for U.S. citizens. And now they then they had to clarify, right, that no, we don't mean for U.S. citizens, and we don't mean there'll be no trade or goods still coming in. So even that, Nikki, ended up being pretty muddled. It's right? a teleprompter speech. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this, this is the thing. It's it's not like it's something that he said off the cuff. The fact that that wasn't made extremely clear when he made the announcement because the whole point of that speech like that was like sort of the the big news out of it and the fact that that was bungled i think again sort of goes back to this you know this this fear that that the government doesn't quite have it together yeah. to respond with this crisis well the i mean the the market which will open any minute now the futures did not respond positively to the Oval Office speech. They continued to tank. Uh, so if he was trying to calm things and, you know, reassure people, the immediate indication is that that didn't work. Uh, and I think the problem with that is, as we're all, you know, becoming experts on epidemiology now, the the, the time to act on this was a month ago, weeks ago, and it's kind of, it's too late to really contain it uh, aggressively. So, I, I, you, you know, you're, everything is getting canceled. Daily life is going to be impacted in a major way. Flights are going to be canceled. Uh, this is not something that you can ignore at this point. And I think he, the, the messaging, what you were saying about, you know, they, they don't stand a chance against us. It, it kind of reminds me of like George Bush after 9-11 saying, you know, we're going to go get those terrorists and kick their their butts. I don't know what I can say on the podcast. Say anything. But I don't think you can intimidate a virus the same the same way. You know, it's it's like that strong rhetorical positioning. Like we're we're stronger than them. We're going to beat them. But this that's not how this works. Uh, by the way, just a small point. Not a small point, but on your point, I saw this morning fifteen point seven million Americans' jobs depend on travel. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you shut down international flights. And a lot of consequences mm -hmm. right down the road to the people who work in the airport restaurants, right? And to the people who service the planes. I mean, you can go on and on. I, I mean, I don't think we've even begun to grapple with the, the second and third order effects that are going to come from this. Like, it, it, you know, people aren't going to restaurants. Then waiters and bartenders are going to have to be laid off. If my, my wife just went to a yoga studio uh, yesterday, it's going to probably close. And they're worried about how they're going to make their rent. Small businesses, big businesses, companies are going to go bankrupt. This is going to be huge. I went down. I was downtown Washington last night, right just around rush hour. It was a ghost town. I mean, you could walk across any street without worrying about the traffic. Restaurants were empty. It's it's you you can already see the impacts of it here, and and part of the, I think, lack of confidence in what the administration and the president's address last night, the administration's response, is this conflicting. Though he'll say one thing and the health officials say the other. Um, here's a little montage of uh, some of the things that uh, Donald Trump has uh, has been saying for the last couple of weeks about the virus. This is a flu. 
This is like a flu. Coronavirus is spreading in the United States. The number of cases has risen to 732. We're going to be pretty soon at only five people, and we could be at just one or two people over the next short period of time. You know, my uncle, he was at MIT. He taught at MIT. He was a great super genius. I like this stuff. I really get it. Are they going to have vaccines, I think, relatively soon? We're talking about a vaccine, maybe a cure. I think the reasonable expectation is between a year and 18 months, honestly. Anybody? that wants a test can get a test. There has been a lag in the ability to get tested. It will go away, just stay calm. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle, it will disappear. That's a pretty good job we've done. So isn't one of the first ingredients for a country getting on top of something like this is confidence in the leadership? And how can you? Yeah, I, I, I think even honestly just as someone who lives here, right? And thinking, okay, I have travel coming up. Should I cancel it? You know, what are the kinds of activities that are safe? Like, how can I be a positive force in my community? And I've been told nothing. And, you know, part of that might be on city officials, but, you know, it starts at the top. Uh, And so I I certainly think that, you know, there's been a, not only a a lack of clear instruction and clarity, uh, but also, um, when there is something from the top, it contradicts everything else you're hearing. And so it sort of causes confusion. And I think all of that, you know, <laughs> it contributes to, on some level, what we've seen over the last several weeks, which is people just go about their business as normal. And that's kind of the worst thing you can do. Well, yeah. And I, I don't think he's used the word hoax in the last week, maybe. But Sean Hannity, as last night, still calling it a hoax. And a lot of the right-wing media are, this is a plot to undo Donald Trump and prevent his getting reelected doesn't help. No, it doesn't help. Um, and it, it's sort of scary, too, because so many people glom on to what Sean Hannity says. And because he's, he, you know, he, for years he's preached that, you know, it's he's the one that's telling the truth and the rest of us journalists are all liars. And again, not to sort of go back to what I'm seeing on social media, but like that, like it, people are glomming onto that and they believe it. And that's frightening because they they might need to make, you know, uh, sacrifices, not travel, not go out in, in big clusters in order to make sure that people don't get sick. But he's also talking to the president like twice a day. Right? That's true, too. <laughs> right. I, th- this is, I, I think it's fair to say, the, the biggest crisis that this president has faced of his time. It's it, it, depending on how this goes. It's it, non-self-inflicted crisis, too, right? This yeah, one. that's true, too. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it, this could be the biggest crisis that any of us have faced in, in our lifetime, depending on, on, mm-hmm. on how this goes. And I, I was just struck in that montage. He's speaking in the past tense as, this, as if this is over when this is we're just getting started in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And typically, like a, a a moment like this is when a president would offer some kind of you know rhetorical message about how we're all in this together. The the virus doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or rich or poor or black or white. You know, we all need to come together, be positive forces in our community. And there's none of that. It's we're doing a good job. Everybody else is terrible. The Democrats are terrible. The media is overhyping this, whether it's a hoax or not. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's and if the Europeans had done a better job, uh, you know, they'd be better off today. One thing too, um, you know, talk about leadership, you know, leading is by example. And what was really interesting last night is that Trump gave the speech in the Oval Office. And then about 20 minutes later, the reporters found out via the pool that he had canceled all of his travel over the next couple of yes. days. Now, that would be something you would think would have been contained in the speech. 
because it would have been like, listen, you know, I had to, I was supposed to go to Las Vegas for this big event. I was going to go to Colorado. I've called off my own travel because it is imperative that someone, I mean, he would never say of his age, but of his age, you know, distances himself from these large crowds and also, you know, attracts large crowds with these political events. Up until that point, he was bragging about the fact that he was not going to he was going to continue his rallies and then, uh, you know, defiantly saying, no, I'm going to continue to rallies. I'm not worried at all. There's no problem. And on Tuesday, you had Joe Biden, actually Bernie Sanders first, and then Joe Biden canceling their Cleveland, Ohio events, sort of their, their last rallies of that uh, round of primaries. And a couple hours later, we get word from the Trump or the Trump campaign that the president plans to attend a Catholics for Trump event next week in Milwaukee. Right. And so, I mean, that was definitely put out by design to sort of thumb their nose at like, look at these wussy Democrats, they're canceling their events, but we're going to, you know, we're going to keep going. We're going to continue to have campaign events. So I'm going to throw a little, uh, maybe stink bomb in the middle of the table here um, and get your response. Uh, I was struck, I was down at the White House a couple of days ago and t- speaking to a friend of mine, a, from a conservative TV network, I'll just leave it at that, uh, who said, you know, I hate to say this, but with all these, these implications of the, for the economy and so many people being laid off and everything, uh, and we're worried how they're going to make it to their next, pay the rent the next month. The answer really is Medicare for all. <laughs> and isn't this the time to make the case for Medicare for all? If we had that, we wouldn't have to worry. Isn't that kind of ironic? Yeah. I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> I, I definitely was uh, at work the other day, and a colleague turned around to me and goes, Man, you know what we need right now is is that freedom dividend. Yeah, that, that too, right? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like a thousand dollars for everyone in in a, in a pinch here. Right. Uh, so it's Andrew Yang or Bernie Sanders, or both. The, and and the, I think to I the think rescue, probably you know, on top m- more than anything, I think it's paid sick leave, right? Yeah. So that if you feel sick, you can stay home. Yeah. I, I think you know we have an economy. I think it, one of the things that's interesting is you actually have studies that show that places that have paid sick leave. Um, they actually see the amount of like sickness of flu go down because people aren't forced to go to work sick and then give it to everyone else. So, Alex, you think this is something that Bernie's going to campaign on? I got the answer. <laughs> uh, or at least link it to the virus. I, I'm actually surprised he ha- he's, he's I haven't made, heard him do it. He's, yeah. he's kind of around the edges. Uh, but no, I think there's a very clear policy angle there. And maybe he will in Sunday's uh, debate. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Bi- Biden has clearly an angle on this, which is that he's experienced, he's presidential, he's a steady hand in a crisis. Look at what a bad job Trump is doing. You Don't you want to elect me? I could, you know, reassure you safety. Uh, but I think that, so the Bernie Sanders play is a little bit less clear. He doesn't have experience managing big crises like this. But I think there is a, a policy argument that he can make, which is exactly that. This is why we need everybody to be covered. This is why we need, you know, a robust uh, health system. It's not just to help people who don't have it but it actually will help you you know every every american uh, if everybody's covered right that this proves why we need medicare for all right you make that you can make that case and that's a good segue to uh from the coronavirus to 2020 which we will pick up after a quick break here on uh, today's roundtable And today's podcast, today's roundtable brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. The good men and women, 1.3 million strong of the UFCW under President Mark Perone, 
fighting uh, to give all workers a better living through better wages and better benefits. The UFCW, they're the uh, good folks that service in our big grocery stores like Ralph's and our big retail stores like Bloomingdale's. Uh, they're uh, also those who run our packaging and processing plants, uh, chemical workers, uh, active in distilleries as well, as, as well as the new budding, if you will, cannabis industry. Uh, check out the UFCW at ufcw.org. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And here with today's roundtable, we continue. Pema Levy from Mother Jones and Nikki Schwab, Daily Mail, and Alex Seitzwald from MSNBC. So, 2020, after Super Tuesday 2 and Joe Biden walking away with five out of six states. Alex, you've been on the road. Nikki, you have two. Pema, I think a little bit too. So, is it all over? Uh, it's not, I, we can't say, you know, definitively it's over. <laughs> Math, I'll say it'd be extremely difficult for Bernie Sanders to win the nomination at this point. Uh, the way the Democratic delegate system works, so it's awarded a proportionally not winner take all. So it's hard to turn things around. He would have to start winning states by like massive margins, 80, 20, 70, 30. And that just seems unlikely. There's in the states that are left in the states that are left. And there's the the next round of states are not a particularly friendly round for him on Tuesday. That's Ohio, Florida, Arizona. Um, Then Georgia is also next, not going to be good for him. So there's no obvious break on the horizon. And you can already see uh, in his messaging and from his allies, they're kind of shifting to a new phase of this campaign, which is not so much about winning the nomination, but winning policy concessions from Joe Biden, the DNC, the Democratic Party as a whole. And uh, I think you're going to start seeing them pressuring him, pressuring uh, the rest of the party on on some specific things. So it's it's almost uh, 
he's becoming more of an activist who is also happens to be running for president than a presidential candidate who used to be an activist. Is that your read, Nikki? Too? Yeah, that's exactly my read. Um, and I think he's going to try to make sure that his voters are sort of taken care of. But he also knows that that also will make sure that they get to the polls in November, because I do believe whenever Bernie Sanders says he wants to see Trump taken out, he's he's legit. And, you know, he believes in that. Yeah. So should he drop out? Some other voices have said, uh, you know, come on, Bernie, it's all over. Get out. You know. Well, I certainly am not going to tell anyone what to do or say when it's their time to drop out. I think, um, I mean, honestly, like, I think, one, no one can predict what's about to happen. But two, you know, I think Bernie really gets a lot of his energy from his big rallies. And I think, you know, that's um, a place where he sees himself bringing his message to people. And we're about to enter an era where you can't have rallies, <laughs> at least for a little while. You know, I think some of the upside for him to stay in it is about to really go away. He's in his 70s and he can't bring people together in large gatherings. Right. And so I think that just realistically, um, as as these two said, there's more of a role to be an activist for your issues, ultimately, um, than there is to stay on a campaign trail that's not even really an actual campaign trail. And, and mathematically also just may be impossible right? right. To, when you and, when you look at the delegate. But at the same time, I think he's really clear that he cares about these issues. He, those These issues are not even that unpopular, right? Um, people have just essentially made the calculation that they think Biden is more likely to win. Um, and so I, I definitely don't think, I, I think the results of the last couple of weeks have shown that Bernie Sanders was wrong when he calculated what his movement would look like numerically. I don't think that the exit polls have shown uh, that he was wrong when it came to the popularity of some of his policies. Um, and I think that he has made that statement. He's latched onto that. And I don't think that he would drop out um, if he still thought there was a place for him to to push on those issues. Do we all agree that the number one issue that Democrats care about in this country, no matter where they are, is who can beat Donald Trump? I think that's the number one, two, and three issue of this campaign we're all and nodding everybody around the table <laughs> nodding their heads. well i yeah. think that was why you saw you know joe biden did not do well in iowa and new hampshire and we can sort of get into why that was but as soon as he looked like he could, could sort of bring together this broader coalition especially with like black southern voters after Everybody, south carolina yeah after south carolina i think everyone was like you know what He's breathing. He looks, you know, goodish. Like we're gonna go all in, uh, because it, sort of the thought was, well, if we can, we can sort of bring together that kind of what, what people were saying is the Obama coalition. Now I would sort of disagree that that's not quite true because because Bernie has sort of the like most of the young vote, mm -hmm. and so they they sort of you know, together may, might have the Obama coalition. But I think people saw that and they were like, okay, I'm and, done. Joe's it. Like let's let's get. And by the get way, to the that general. Would, that was the entire premise of the Bloomberg campaign. Right. And it collapsed as soon as he looked like he was not going to be strong against uh, Trump on stage when he had his terrible debate. But I mean, it, it, we always knew that electability and was... also as, as soon as it, Joe Biden proved that he had... That he could. That he that had he could. strength. Because well, yeah. I mean, Bloomberg got in because he, he saw what a lot of people saw in Iowa and New Hampshire is that Biden has not been good on the stump. And I think that's why you saw a rejection of him in the first two states. But once it broadened out to a lot of states where you're not sort of campaigning in real life, uh, it didn't matter. I must say, so uh, let's talk a little bit about Bernie's statement. Um, Wednesday, yesterday, I think it was. I, I must say, I have never seen a more candid, more frank assessment of what happened 
when you lost than <laughs> Bernie Sanders gave. I mean, it was flat out. He basically said, yeah, I've won the battle of ideas, but I've lost the battle of electability yeah. or winability or maybe likability. I, very I, frank, I thought. I think we all knew that electability was going to be a big issue, but I think none of us, and especially Bernie Sanders, didn't realize that it would be, it would, electability would trump ideas, policy, personality, identity, age, even the, the campaign that, that you're running. I mean, Joe Biden has not run a particularly good campaign. No one's going to look back and, you know, bring his people uh, on, on panel discussions to talk about what geniuses, wizards they are, the way we have with David Pluff and David Axelrod and these mm -hmm. Obama guys. He kind of stumbled into this because he's been seen from day one as the guy who's most electable. So I think Bernie Sanders can take it away, uh, take that message away. In 20 of the 20 states that have done exit polling so far, Medicare for all is more popular it either has majority or plurality support and yet they still voted for uh joe biden so and i think biden knows this he's he said the other day i view myself as a bridge and nothing more to the next generation so uh he's yeah. a caretaker essentially for a party that doesn't really look like him anymore and he i think he's aware of that and so it'll be on bernie and everybody else to advocate for their ideas so pam on the ideas front uh at his uh his statement in his statement yesterday uh, Bernie said, yes, I'm going to continue, and yes, we're going to, I wish I could imitate him, uh, and yes, we're going to have this debate Sunday night, and there's some questions I want to ask Joe. Joe, what are you going to do for the 500,000 people who go bankrupt in our country because of medically related debt? Are you really going to veto a Medicare for all bill what are you going to do to make sure that all of our people can go to college or trade school regardless of their income? And what are you going to do about the millions of people who are struggling with outrageous levels of student debt? Joe! <laughs> so good. <laughs> but that's not a, not a bad approach for him, right? These are the issues he's campaigned on. All right, Joe, what are right. you going to do? No, I'm absolutely. I mean, I think... You know, this is his leverage. Uh, but I also think that this is, it's a it's a roadmap for Joe Biden to, you know, allow Bernie to sort of gracefully exit in the next, I don't know, short amount of time um, by basically saying, I have faith that Biden will carry on this agenda. And it's a roadmap for his followers who, I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of fear that they won't turn out for someone else. Um, that they'll go third party, that they'll stay home. Um, and so I think it's a roadmap for his entire coalition to be able to say, we think that that Joe Biden is going to do enough and that we're going to be willing to turn out for him, too. And and so I think he's he's laying out like, here's how we merge these two campaigns and here's how we um, come together to defeat Donald Trump. And. It, it's, these are not particularly hard questions, right? Are you going to veto well, Medicare for all? It's basically saying, if we magically pass this thing that no one thinks yeah. we can pass, will you just sign it, please? Right? That's yeah. that's not even a big ask here. I so yeah. so no. I, I think that, you know, I hope that Joe Biden is humble enough and nimble enough uh, to, to, you know, to understand what he's being offered. I, I talked to some uh, nimble. That's asking a lot. But I like that word. <laughs> I, I, think I like that word. No one has been nimble right now. Not no. Bernie. Not Biden. Not Trump. Right. No one is doing that right but now. But it is an opportunity. I, I would really. Agree yeah, and, and and he and 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 Bernie Sanders notably did not criticize 
Joe Biden directly in there. He laid out some policy ideas, but he nope, didn't say, he, absolutely. He didn't right. say you voted for the Iraq war and, and, and trade policies and we can't possibly have you be our nominee. He said, this is what I need. It's, it's a roadmap, exactly as Pam said. I talked to some uh, Clinton campaign people yesterday about this phase of, of the cycle in 2016. And I think there's kind of... Um, not among everybody, but among, uh, I think, some of the, the ones who have stayed more involved, there's an understanding that they handled this wrong in 16, that they were too aggressive, that their attitude was essentially, we won, you lost, get over oh, it, fall yeah. in line. And uh, they think that that only you know alienated people and it, it, it ends up backfiring. The more you try to force Bernie Sanders and his supporters to do anything, the more they're going to resist you doing it. And they, they, as Jen Palmieri basically told me, like, if you trust that Bernie Sanders is going to do, is wants to help the Democratic nominee beat Trump, and and she said I do, and I and I think as Nikki said, I think I, I do too. I would trust that. Then you have to let him figure out how to do this, right? And, and that's tough if you're Joe Biden, but I think that's and, right. And Nikki, in his comments Tuesday night, Joe Biden reached out to the Bernie people and said, "We need you. There's yeah. a place for you on this campaign." You know, look, come on, come on board. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not, not again, drop out and get it here tomorrow, but. No, and I think because I he think opened the door. I think that Joe Biden again also saw what happened in 2016 and how you know mm -hmm. the, the Bernie coalition, uh, and, and I think that also Joe Biden's sort of self aware to know that he's not the candidate that's going to have like 10,000 people rallies, and so like he needs to like make sure that he gets that excitement from the Bernie coalition and moves it over to his column, so at least like they'll go to the polls for him. They might not come out to his rallies, but. So the clock is ticking right near the end, but I can't. we can't go with that. A couple of real quick questions. So um, Cory Booker is endorsed. Kamala Harris is endorsed. Amy Klobuchar is endorsed. Pete Buttigieg is endorsed. Michael Bloomberg is endorsed. Andrew Yang has endorsed. Where's Elizabeth Warren? And what's she going to do? Anybody have a guess? Does she need what's to do anything? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think. I think she would get... I think that she'll... There's no reason to kind of upset Bernie supporters if it looks like he, that campaign is winding down anyways. And so I, to me, I would think that she would, she would, I would hold off a little bit longer, wait for another few primaries and see if the whole thing resolves itself. Or if she had, didn't already miss her chance. But the fact that she has not already endorsed Bernie Sanders, yeah. Alex, what does that say? I think that speaks very loudly that every day that went by after she got out of the race and did not endorse Bernie Sanders was an, another day that Bernie Sanders campaign got closer to the end. Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't think people, think Could, some people see it that there was animosity there, you know, over their person, but I think it was more that it was a sign that the, the she assessed that the Sanders campaign had no real path to viability at that point. Could she endorse Biden? I think she could. Uh, but I think that would be politically problematic if she wants to sort of take the progressive mantle and then run again. Mm. Right. Okay. So that then raises the next question, which is, is she then on the list of potential vice presidential nominees and who else is? And do you think it will be and should be a woman? Pema? I, I imagine she's probably on a, a piece of paper somewhere with everyone else that you just named. Um, I a woman? I, all women? Or do you think? No, I think all of the people. You, I mean, Corey's yeah. I don't think Andrew too. Yang is probably on that list. But I think that, <laughs> um, you know, Kamala Harris is on that list. Cory Booker is on that list. Klobuchar is on that list. Deval Patrick? Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, no idea. <laughs> I, I probably not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, should it be a woman? I mean, that, that's for, for Joe Biden to decide. I think that um, I don't think it will be a white man. 
<laughs> I don't think there are very many of those on the list. Um, you know, it, he could pick someone like Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris and sort of, um, you know, really go there on both gender and uh, racial diversity. Um, but I would expect, you know, either one of those boxes to be checked for yeah. lack of a better word. What do you think, Nikki? I think, I think that Stacey Abrams would make more sense if you sort of look at the, you know, sort of past history of trying to pull someone that also has a state that could, you know, move into the Democratic column. I mean, Georgia might still be. Sort Although of, she did not deliver Georgia when true. she had a chance. She came, true. she came close, though. Yeah. She came mm -hmm. close. And that. That was not a presidential election year when, you know, Democratic turnout tends to be better. And Georgia has gotten more blue even since then. Uh, you've yeah. A lot of people moving to like the Atlanta area. Uh, so, you know, it, you you potentially not only it helps you in Georgia, but I would assume it would help you in other southern states like North Carolina that flipped to Trump mm -hmm. in 2016. Well, Georgia also has two Senate races. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that I mean, I, I, I don't I'm not. I have no inside knowledge. I'm not actually really putting my money on Stacey Abrams, but there are electoral reasons. Yeah, I mean that's that a, that's a down ticket thing that you you know you pull By Democratic way, voters as to are vote geographic for the and electoral reasons maybe for Amy Klobuchar too, right? I mean from the sure, Rust Belt, yeah, Minnesota, anyone. right? Uh, Alex, you talked to all these insiders. I mean, what are they telling <laughs> you? Is, Burge, is Biden on the verge of? Naming someone, or do you think it'll take this time? And who's on the list? Uh, I, it'll take more time. They, they would, I think that it would look presumptive to do it now while there's still a, a primary campaign going on. And there's also uh, a, a concern when there was all those rumors early on about, oh, you know, Joe Biden's going to jump out. Stacey Abrams was the name that was that was mentioned that he was going to get in the race with a. With, uh, a I remember that it. right. Um, the the they said that that was never really serious and that they would never do that anyway because it would be essentially conceding that Joe Biden is not up to the job on his own, you know, mm -hmm. that it would look like he's only going to run for one term, mm -hmm. that he needs help winning. And that's, you know, they're on a, they feel like they're on a hot streak right now. They're not going to do anything to upset that. Um, I'll throw one other name out there, which is down the list, but, I, but that I've heard mentioned a few times, who's Val Demings, the uh, Ooh, congressman from yeah. Florida, who was a oh, yes. house that's manager, right. Have, right. first uh, female police chief of the Orlando Police Department. Um, black woman. So I, I think I, I would bet money that we will be either a woman or a person of color or maybe most likely a woman of color. Uh, and uh, and let me throw in the name Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe nobody's ever heard of, but Latina governor of New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico. Yeah. And, uh, and governors make good you know, presidential or vice presidential nominees they have in the past, certainly. And the Democrats, you know, yeah. boost in the West is great for the Dems. So Harry Reid on that has pushed uh, Catherine Cortez Masso mm -hmm. as well, senator from Nevada. He's also right. pushed uh, Elizabeth Warren. He really wanted, Harry Reid really wanted Hillary Clinton to name Elizabeth Warren as the VP. He was very into the idea of a two-women mm. ticket. He pitched it to Bill Clinton. Uh, that did not work out, but there are a lot of Clinton people who think that she would have won if, if yeah, she Yeah, because it would have brought the Bernie one. people in Yep, because of the progressive movement. So the uh, consensus around this table is that the primary will continue and there will be more to talk about on um, future roundtables, which, uh, which is great here for the Bill Press Show. But we can't go without your favorite story of the week, something that just caught your attention. You couldn't help but think about it and want to share it with us. Nikki, you want to start? Yeah, so um, this was very exciting to me, having 
uh, covered and stalked the couple, this couple for a long time. But Ilhan Omar got married to her political consultant, Tim Minette. Oh, after, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, she posted oh. it on Instagram yesterday. So congratulations to them. Now that means I won't have to like do stakeouts in front of his apartment <laughs> to see if they're dating. So I'm excited about that. But Yeah, you, you know, talked and, about this on a previous roundtable. Yeah, and, and You've it, been on this case. Oh, yeah. my gosh, for like months. Huh. Uh, but Other you know, people the, are following Harry and Meghan. You're following Elon Ilhan and, and Tim. <laughs> And you know what's funny is I, I literally, when I was still working at the New York Post, had to stake out this guy's apartments for, for like days upon days upon days. Um, and it, it was above this like Safeway. So I was always just sort of like creeping outside this like Safeway grocery store. Uh, but I, I met him. Finally, in, in Iowa. In the Safeway? No, in oh. Iowa. She she showed up uh, to do a canvassing event for Bernie Sanders, and Tim was with her. And so I went up and introduced myself, and he's like, ah! You know? <laughs> I remember you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Safeway. Yeah, the creep that's been underneath your apartment for three days. Sorry. <laughs> the glamorous life of a reporter. A tabloid reporter, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> what caught your attention? Uh, I'm in a, it's a collection of stories, but they're Uh all the same theme, if that's, if that's okay, Uh, which is the number of people who have now come forward, who worked for the Bloomberg campaign, who basically said, uh, this was the most delicious grift of my entire career. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, Uh, they made a lot of money. They made a lot of money. They, uh, they, they were very handsomely compensated. Um, a lot of the, 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 uh, the former state director in North Carolina told Ben Jacobs, who I think we all know, that he a third of his staff was just there for the paycheck, which I think is wow. an incredible. And the admission. food, the free, and, food? And the free food, so much yeah. food. Uh, you know, corporate housing in New York. So that that gravy train uh, ended 
sooner than they had all expected, but it's still fun to see them all talking about it. Now. And some of them will be living on that money until the end of the year. I understand some of the signed contracts. That, yeah. How about you, Pema? Um, so this is a little bit on topic, but I thought it was a be. delightful story. So uh, to a colleague of a colleague of mine, Stephanie Mensimer, um wrote a story. I'll just read you the headline, which is, I went to CPAC and all I got was exposure to coronavirus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and it's actually just, I think, a really well-written um, example of what happens when all of a sudden you get that email that says you were at an event with someone who had coronavirus and then all of a sudden your bosses say, oh, you better stay home for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you're sort of like, okay, what does that mean? Like, can yeah. I send my kids to school? Can I go to the grocery store? Can I walk my dog? Do I have to tell the plumber who was here five days ago? Like all of these like actual questions that we're actually not getting answers to. And so, um, you know, my colleague writes really deftly about what it's like to have to navigate that when there are no answers. And I think we're all still waiting for them. But if this is a situation that will come to a lot of people soon. So um, it's a it's a fun read to sort of prep yourself for that uh, that weird mindset where you have to figure this out on your own a little bit. And my favorite story, that's, that's, that's right on point. My favorite story <laughs> picks up sort of uh, from, uh, from Alex. Do you all know what Venmo is? Yes. Oh, yeah. I did not know what Venmo is until I read the story, thanks to Shane Goldmarker at the New York Times. So Venmo is a way online where you can um, you don't have to go through your bank. You can just send money directly to a business or to a friend for something. A friend had an accident or something. You send them directly here, go out and have dinner on me or something like that. Well, apparently after Super Tuesday, suddenly Venmo came alive with people from other campaigns that were still left sending money to friends who worked on losing campaigns oh, to buy nice. them a drink or a dinner. And a one, one woman who worked for Elizabeth Warren ended up actually with $250 <laughs> uh, from, that, from friends that sent her. And having been, have, have, being the veteran of many political campaigns, I know what it's like when you go all out. You know, you guys too, you're on the road, you're busting your butt, your candidate, and then your candidate drops out and you're, Unlike the Bloomberg people, <laughs> alone and broke and feeling really down. And then so I think this this use of Venmo to lift the spirits of people in the losing campaigns by people from winning campaigns, or at least campaigns that are still alive, I just touched my heart. I thought that was a great Sweet. story. Yeah, Much better than the Twitter wars yeah, between right? them. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Oh, great, great conversation today. Alex Seitzwell, thanks for being here with us. Thank you. People can find you and follow you where? Uh, on Twitter at A-S-E-I-T-Z-W-A-L-D, A Seitzwald. No hyphen in between. No hyphen. Okay, A Seitzwald. Pema, nice to see you. Mother Jones going strong. Where do people find you? Also on Twitter, Pema Levy. Pema Levy. Yeah, at Pema, at Pema, at Pema, Pema Levy. Levy. Yep. Right. Uh, Nikki, yes, at the Daily Mail, and we find you. Also on Twitter, at Nikki Schwab, like my name, and at KKI and Schwab, like Charles Schwab. <laughs> there you go. And me, you find, at Bill Press Pod. Um, so thank you all. Thank you all. And uh, let me wrap up with a quick parting shot. My comments um, alone uh, and only, not necessarily the comments of the panel, but we, as we've been talking, even Bernie Sanders admits he didn't have a good night on Tuesday, losing five out of six states. And that the Democratic primary may, in fact, be over with Joe Biden, the certain nominee. And right away, a few prominent Democratic voices boomed out, demanding that Bernie drop out of the race. James Carville. Uh, Yes, he's still out there ranting and raving. 
some 30 years later, James Carville said, we might as well shut this thing down right now. And the great James Clyburn, who saved Joe Biden's political butt in South Carolina, went further to say that the DNC should abruptly cancel Sunday night's debate and end the primary. Now, both Carville and Clyburn are friends of mine, but I think they are dead wrong. There's no reason for Bernie to drop out. There's no need to abort the primary. Let me make two quick points. First, the number one issue facing Democrats is who's the most likely candidate to beat Donald Trump in November? Yes, some 24 states have already voted, and in those states, the vast majority of Democrats said Joe Biden's the strongest. But there are still 26 states to go. Let the voters in those states have their voice as well. They'll probably agree. They'll probably go for Joe, but let them make their own choice. Don't cut them out. Second point, again, Democrats' number one goal is to defeat Donald Trump, for which in November they're going to need all Democrats, Biden supporters and Sanders supporters. If that's the goal, there's no better way to piss off Sanders supporters forever than forcing their man Bernie out of the race before the convention. So my advice to the DNC, don't shut down the primary. Sanders versus Biden, that's an important decision for all Democrats to weigh in on. Let the primary continue. And uh, with that, we uh, say this is a wrap for today's roundtable, today's podcast. Again, thanks to Alex Seitzwald, Nick Schwab, and Pema Levy. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please do us a favor, if you haven't already done so, and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod by going to wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and then, yes, follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, stay safe, wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay strong. We'll see you, God willing, on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>